0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Thank you guys for uh, leading us in worship this morning. And, and church, if, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and get ready. Turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week as we began a brand new series in the Gospel of Mark. And last week, we learned that John Mark, he's writing as Peter's secretary, and he's writing this gospel, this good news to the Romans, uh, proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if you remember, these, these Roman Christians, they're facing persecution. They're facing all kinds of problems. Emperor Nero is, is uh, capturing them and even using some of them as, as a, a, you know, a, a lampstand, and he's lighting them on fire. It's just an awful time. For these Roman Christians. And so they need some good news. They need to be reminded that Jesus is the Son of God. And so this week, as we continue through the first chapter, he's writing to tell them that Jesus has ultimate authority. He wants them to know that even though this Roman authority, Emperor Nero and the Roman soldiers, are abusing their authority and killing believers and causing fear and, and having it spread throughout the Roman Empire, that there is Jesus Christ who has ultimate authority. That's good news for us today as we're facing all kinds of different trials and situations based on this COVID-19 and coronavirus. Uh, the good news is Jesus has ultimate authority. Have you ever met somebody who just exudes authority? I, I mean, they, they walk in the room and, and you just give them ultimate respect just instantly. Now, I can remember uh, early on in, in our marriage, my brother-in-law graduated from the Air Force. And so my wife and I, we, we hopped in the car with, with my in-laws and we drove all the way down to San Antonio, Texas. And we got on the base and you could just sense that there were some officers that exuded some authority, right? And and you had to give them uh, that that authority. You had to like look at them with, with a certain respect. And I was not even in the military and uh, I saw these these guys these officers and these drill sergeants and I wouldn't even make eye contact with them I was so fearful of their authority well, as Jesus gets on the scene here and he picks up where uh, John the Baptist leaves off the people are noticing that there's something different about Jesus he's got this authority And so as we pick up in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 34 this morning, you're going to see that Jesus has authority. He has authority over sin, over the supernatural, and over sickness. That's good news for us today because our world is facing a pandemic, a a sickness that that is spreading across all countries and all nations. And the truth is, is that Jesus has ultimate authority. So as we jump into scripture, let me pray for us as we look at these verses. Father, I come to you. I pray that as we jump into Mark's gospel, that your Holy Spirit will speak to us, that we'll hear you speak to us through your word, and that we'll know that you have ultimate authority, and God, that we will surrender our lives to that authority. Father, I pray for those that are listening right now who are grouped with fear. Father, that you would fill them with faith, that you would give them a spirit that is not fearful, but a spirit of of hope. God, we pray that as we go through this time that you will bring healing because you have authority over sickness. And God, that you will heal those who are, who are weak, who are isolated, who are, who are struggling through in this time. Father, we come to you. We ask that you would speak to us in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see is Jesus has authority over sin. And it says this in Mark's gospel, picking up in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, if you remember from last week, this sounds very familiar to what John the Baptist was preaching last week when he was calling people to a baptism of repentance. Now John's been arrested and, and Mark wants you to know that Jesus is carrying on the same message. He's proclaiming. He's proclaiming a message that says, repent and believe. Jesus came to Galilee. Now, Mark, he's not really writing chronologically. He's kind of jumping all over the place. And he wants you to know, first and foremost, that Jesus went to Galilee. Now, when I think of Galilee, I think of this small fishing village. But that's not really what the historian says. According to the ancient Jewish historian Josephus, Galilee was an area of about 60 by 30 miles. And it has somewhere around 204 villages, averaging about 15,000 people per village. Now, if you do the math, and I've done the math, that's over 3 million people in this area. That's a huge amount of people. And Jesus busts on the scene doing his ministry, and people are taking notice. They're noticing his authority. It says, now, after Jesus was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, if you remember what we said last week, anytime the proclamation of Jesus is, goes out, anytime the good news is proclaimed, There has to be a preparation. And so proclamation leads to preparation. And that's exactly where we are right here. He's saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, Mark's writing this, but these are the first red letters that show up in the gospel of Mark. Mark is wanting you to understand the very first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth in this gospel is the time is fulfilled. Now is the time. Repent and believe. He's saying this, this time, this word, uh, there's, there's two different words in the Greek. There's chronos and there's keros. And the chronos simply means like chronological time, but the strategic opportunity, keros, is what he's saying here. Jesus is saying, now is the time. Don't let this pass you by. So you think about this. Jesus, he comes on the scene. He's proclaiming the good news, and he's saying, now is time. The time, Don't let this strategic opportunity pass by. Now is the time to repent and believe in the gospel. Now, you're hearing this right now. And I want you to understand that his words are true today. Jesus is saying, if you're hearing the gospel of Jesus proclaimed, now is the time. Now is the strategic opportunity for you to repent and believe. And there's two steps in this process of allowing Jesus to have authority in your life and over your sin. And it's number one, to repent. And number two, to believe. So Jesus has authority over sin. So we need to repent and believe of it. And Jesus proves that he has authority over sin by being sinless. As we read last week in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. (laughs) This is what Jesus is doing. He's beginning his ministry, but it begins with temptation. And the reason it begins with temptation is because it's showing us, it's teaching us that Jesus has authority over sin. Jesus has this authority. And this is what the writer of Hebrews would even say in 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are without sin. Jesus has authority over sin, and we know that because Jesus was sinless. He was tempted and was without sin. God doesn't tempt us, but he uses temptations to teach us. That's what we learned last week. And Jesus' temptation teaches us that he has authority over sin because he never sinned. Our temptation teaches us that we need him to have authority over our sin because none of us can make that claim that we're sinless. We are taught in our temptation that, that God, we need to surrender to God's authority, to Jesus's authority because he has ultimate authority over sin. The things that we learn out of temptation is this. Temptation teaches us about our frailty. First John says it this way in eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. <laughs> we, who could say they're without sin? Who could be bold enough to say, well, I, I don't have any sin. I, I've lived the perfect life. The thing about temptation is, is it proves to us and shows us how frail we really are. We are weak in our character and our morals. Now we can try our best and we can put on a a good face and we can try to adhere to certain laws and certain rules and we can try to look good to everyone else, but we all know what's really in our heart. We all know that we're weak. We all know that we fail. We all know that there's sin in our life and that's what temptation shows us. It shows us that we don't have authority over sin and we need to surrender to one who does. It also teaches us this. It teaches us that we have a need for forgiveness. Temptation teaches us about our need for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, the next verse there says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. He is faithful and He will forgive us when we confess. <laughs> We need to realize how frail we are that there is sin in our life and we need to go to the one who has authority over sin and say, since you have authority over sin, you also have the ability to forgive us of sin. The third thing temptation teaches us is about his faithfulness. Paul, he writes this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. You might want to just say that out loud this morning. As, as you're sitting in your, in your house, on your couch, or in your, in your room, you might want to just say those words out loud, God is faithful. You might feel isolated. You might feel alone. You might be full of fear. You might be worried about tomorrow. You might be worried about a job. You might be worried about health. You might be worried about family members. I don't know where you are right now, but you might want to say those words, God is faithful. And when it comes to temptation. We need to realize that He is faithful. He has full, ultimate authority over sin. He never sinned. We're frail. We need forgiveness. And we know that He is faithful and He will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. Jesus comes on the scene. Mark's writing this gospel to Romans and he wants them to know the authority there. They might be abusing their authority, but there is one who has ultimate authority and he has authority over sin. He lived the sinless life, the life that you can't live. And he died the death you should have died to pay for the price of your sins. Jesus has authority over sin. You see, there's a two-step process of allowing Jesus to have authority in our life. And over our sin, the first one he says, Jesus says, repent. Matineo is the Greek word there. And it it literally means to change one's mind for better. To amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. It's really an attitude of action. It's to hate the sin that's in your life and and to repent of it, to to change your mind about it. I don't want anything to do with that anymore. It's not just a, a sorrowful feeling, but it is actually an action that takes place. You see, true repentance doesn't try to justify its actions. It acknowledges them. A lot of times when it comes to our temptations and the sins that are in our life, we've gotten really good at justifying our actions. And and repentance means that we stop blaming other people. We stop blaming our present circumstances and our personal feelings. And this is where we've gotten. We've gotten so uh, accustomed to saying, well, you know what? If they hadn't have treated me this way, then I wouldn't have acted this way. If they hadn't have said that, then I wouldn't have said that. If I hadn't been put in that situation, if I hadn't been put in those circumstances, I had no other options. That's what I chose to do. Or maybe you say, look, this is just my personal feelings. It it may be a sin for you, but it's not a sin for me. When we justify our sins, we're not learning what God's trying to teach us about sin that we all need to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ because he has ultimate authority over sin. Let me ask you, have you stopped making excuses and started taking action? Have you got, have you got to a point in your life where you've stopped making excuses for the, the sins that are in your life and you've started repenting of them? This is what Jesus comes on the scene and says, look, there's a proclamation, the good news, Jesus Christ. He has authority over sin. He lived a sinless life. Have you stopped making excuses? Have you started taking appropriate steps of action? Repentance. Repentance is an internal change of mind rather than sorrow of the heart. Because you and I both know this. You can be sorry for sin and still practice sin. You you know that's true. You can be so sorry that you're participating in the things you're participating and still go and practice them. And so repentance has to be more than feeling sorry. Even Esau, as it it writes this, the writer of Hebrews says in 12, 16 through 17, Like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessings, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. There are some of us who are, are tearful sorrowful for the things that we're doing. And we want to repent, but we refuse to take the appropriate actions to change our mind about it, to abhor those things that are in our life and to walk away from them. Jesus says, look, I have authority over sin. And if you want me to have authority over sin in your life, then you're going to have to repent. There's a two-step process of allowing Jesus to have authority in our life and over our sin. Number one is to repent. Number two is to believe. This word believe means much more than just to acknowledge or be in agreement of mind. It speaks of a relationship of trust and dependence upon God. I mean, to believe the gospel is more than to accept it intellectually. It means to receive it intentionally. There's a part of you that says, I intentionally want to have Jesus come into my life. I want to receive that into my life. I want to repent and believe. I want there to be change. The second thing we see is that Jesus has authority over evil spirits. Now let's jump down a little bit to verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. a new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee now i want you to understand this there is this supernatural thing that's taking place and it says and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit now what is the synagogue it's, it's kind of like the local church. Uh, it wasn't the temple in Jerusalem, but you could set up a synagogue anywhere there was 10 or more Jewish men. And so in an in a area where there was villages and villages, like 204 villages, there would have been several synagogues and people would go to these places so that they could be taught throughout the week uh, about God's law. And so that's exactly what happens. Jesus goes in and he's beginning to teach in one of these little local synagogues. And there's a man full of an evil spirit. A demon is in this man and he's in the synagogue. I, I mean, I want that to just kind of sink in for just a second. There are places that you go and you think, you know what, this is a good place and this is a safe place and that's a bad place and that's an evil place. But they are in a good place and there's a man full of an evil spirit there. You see, the demonic are not confined by what we consider sacred or secular. And there's a lot of times where we will say, oh, that's bad because it's secular. That music, you shouldn't listen to that because it's secular. You shouldn't watch that because it's secular. And we try to define what is good and what is bad and what is sacred and what is secular. But let me tell you something. Evil doesn't know where those boundary lines are because they're in the supernatural and we're in the physical. And sin isn't just out there. It's in here. Jesus has full authority over sin and he has full authority over the supernatural and he knows where sin is. He knows where evil rests. And sometimes evil hides quietly in religious rituals but shrieks in terror at the authority of Jesus. There are times where there's this quiet evil that sits in ritualistic religion. Where people go through the motions over and over and over. And yet there's no real concern for the sin that's in their life. There's no real confession and repentance that's taking place. And let me tell you, we've had to take a break from all the regular rituals of religion. And and some of us need to pause this morning. And really take inventory of our hearts. And say, I know that I've been thinking that evil is out there and sin is out there. But... Please reveal to me my heart. Is there sin in here, God, that I need to deal with, that I need to submit to your authority on? You see, religion without repentance is full of demonic deception. And there's a lot of people who are deceived by the evil one, and yet they practice a lot of religion without repentance. Last week, we learned that as often as you recognize sin, you should repent, or you should repent of sin. You see, do not be deceived. Jesus demands authority over sin. Jesus demands it. He's earned it. He lived the sinless life that you and I can't live. When we recognize that there's sin in our life, we should submit to his authority. It says in verse 24, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Demons possess a remarkable theology and still sit in opposition to God. Isn't that amazing? They were sitting in the synagogue. It's, he's sitting in the synagogue, and he knows exactly who Jesus is. He even proclaims it with an audible voice. But he's in opposition to Jesus Christ and his authority. You see, if you possess information without transformation, your religion will result in condemnation. There's a lot of people who know a lot of information. They have a great and remarkable theology about Jesus Christ. They've even used their mouths to declare who he is. Yet their lives and their pattern of living and the sin that they've allowed to be in their life is in opposition to his will and his way. The third thing I want you to see this morning is Jesus has authority over sickness. How timely is that? We need to remind ourselves that even though our world is plagued by a pandemic, Jesus has complete authority. Jesus is not taken by surprise on any of this. He is in complete control. Rest assured, have faith in this time of fear that Jesus has authority. Let's keep reading. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law, that would be Peter, lay ill with fever. And immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Let's keep reading. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick With various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus has authority over sickness. He healed many who were sick of various diseases. They had various diseases. Now, as we think about the the disease that's going rampant in our world right now, we're all trying to take necessary measures to avoid being exposed to the virus. We, we try to wash our hands more often. We try to keep a distance of six feet between us and someone else. We don't get in rooms larger than 10 people. And, and, and that's why we're not gathered together this morning. We're all trying to take every measure necessary to stay away and to stay from being contaminated by this disease. But the truth is, we've all been exposed to the virus of sin. And, and you know what? We're all infected But some of us show signs more than others. And what we've done is we've neglected to realize how severe the sin is in our life because we see the symptoms more severe in someone else's life. It's called asymptomatic, right? Where you're you're not really showing the signs, but you're carrying the disease. And you're infecting everyone else around you. That's what they're so scared about right now. That's why we're having to stay in our homes and, and practice social distancing because we might be sick and we don't even know it. Let me tell you, when it comes to the sickness of sin, we've all been infected. And, and we may or may not even know it because we're viewing it as, well, at least I don't act like that person. Or at least I don't make the decisions that they do. But we all have been infected by the sickness of sin. Matthew's gospel, he records this, and he says it this way. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Jesus was uh, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases, he bore our sickness, he took upon himself our sin. This is what Isaiah is talking about. This is why Jesus had to come. He came to heal those who were infected by sin. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over sin. He has authority over the supernatural. Isaiah 53, 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We need to hear that this morning. That though there's still sickness in this world, the, the sickness of sin has been dealt with through the person, Jesus Christ, who has ultimate authority. But I want to ask you this question this morning. Does Jesus have authority over you? Now, you might have noticed if you were in your Bibles that I skipped over a section of Scripture. We're going to jump right back to that, verse 16. In this, this section of Scripture, I want you to realize that this is how you can tell if Jesus really has authority And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, these are no small uh, fishing operations. I mean, these men, this is their livelihood. This is their life. This is what they've learned to do. This is their trade. This is how they earn a living. And it's so lucrative that they even have hired servants on the boat with them. And this is a family business. And Jesus walks up and Jesus says, these two simple words, follow me. And it says immediately, they dropped their nets. Let me ask you, have you dropped what you're holding on to? That you're not giving him authority over in your life? Have you come to a point where you've heard those two words and allowed those two words to define who you are? These two words of action are the defining words of a believer. You see, a true believer in Christ is a follower. Intellectual understanding and verbal declaration must be accompanied by active following. You can know it and you can say it, but if you're not allowing the words, follow me to define your life by action, you may not be a true believer. I'm not asking if you've uh, said a prayer or walked an aisle or or done any of those things. I'm asking you if follow me defines your life. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Don't miss this. Following Jesus will always be evangelistic. You, You might say, well, Pastor Jeff, I don't have the gift that you have. I don't have a gift of teaching. Or some of you might say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And I will say, you might be right. That might not be your gift, but it doesn't negate the fact that if God has done something in your life and he has complete authority in your life, that you don't want to tell people about it. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. If you are a follower, you will be fishing. You will be proclaiming the good news because you can't help but talk about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Fishing naturally flows from a life that follows Jesus. It doesn't naturally flow from a life that knows facts about Jesus. Does Jesus have authority over you? Well, then ask yourself this question. Do you find yourself telling people about Jesus, being becoming a fisher of men, Do you find yourself being more evangelistic because you just can't help but tell people the good news of Jesus Christ? Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. You see, the authority of Jesus over our life is evident in our lives, uh, surrendered to proclamation of the good news. When we surrender our lives to the proclamation of good news, when we tell people the good news of Jesus Christ, it shows that we follow Jesus. Follow me, become fishers. Does Jesus have authority over you? Is following and fishing a description of your life? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to your new sermons.